This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful day, and uh, today we are beginning our new series on Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. The other English word for Revelation is apocalypse, and unfortunately, we've associated Revelation and apocalypse with only turbulent and troublesome events, but that's not really the major thrust of Revelation at all. Revelation means uh, to reveal. It's kind of like pulling back the curtain and helping us to see more clearly the purposes of God in this world and in the world to come. It's a revealing of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at the book of Revelation, we're looking at a book that was written to seven actual historical churches near the end of the first century. Churches and Christians who are going through a great deal of persecution. Now, one of the things I really love about the book of Revelation is that it gives us these beautiful scenes of worship. And the third week of this series, we're going to focus just on worship and the heavenly worship that's occurring now and will be in the future. Revelation also helps us to understand God's ultimate victory over evil and the consummation when the new heaven, the new earth will become one and will be one together with God. Now, Uh, To get started today, I want to say a word about John the Apostle. John the Apostle was one of the 12 original apostles of Jesus. And he's the only one that we believe by tradition was not martyred because of his faith. What we do know is that John was banished to the Isle of Patmos, a small island just off the coast of modern-day Turkey, between the year 81 and 96 A.D. It was from there that he grasped the vision of Revelation. And so I thought it'd be great today to invite a guest, our guest, John the Apostle, to be with us today. Would you join me in welcoming John the Elder? (laughs) Brother John, it is so good to see you, my brother in Christ. I cannot imagine the dimensions of time and space that you have traveled to be with us today. That's absolutely remarkable. But I, I got to ask, I'm curious, what did the Lord have to promise you to get you to return to the earth? Well, Brother Robert, he promised to double the size of my mansion. Okay, well, that, we, we kind of appreciate ecclesiastical uh, wit around yeah, here just right. a little bit. Uh, You in the 21st century appreciate humor as much as we do, but apparently not that much. Yeah. (laughs) Is that the fact? Actually, I'm here, Brother Robert, to to, uh, illuminate the Word of God for such a time as this. (laughs) Well, welcome, brother. Uh, Please come up here and have a seat with me. And as you get settled in, I got to ask you a question. There's one question I've always wondered about and what it was actually like to be present for the feeding of the 5,000. Oh, that was a wonder to behold indeed, Brother Robert. We were all hungry, and no offense to Jesus, but he was giving an entire sermon series in one setting. Of course, I could listen to him all day, but out of concern for the hungry crowd, we tried to cut it short. 
he finally directed us to feed everyone. I asked the other disciples, is this possible? Thomas said, I doubt it. And it was right, what little food we had, nobody was willing to share, nobody. Well, except for the little boy with the six loaves of bread and two fish. Six loaves? But your gospel says there were only five loaves. We started with six, but I was hungry. <laughs> Judas never let me forget it either. <laughs> there were some good qualities in Judas here. Well, what appears to be the, one of the very last things that Jesus does the night that he's betrayed is he, he prays. And he prays that all believers, his church, would be one, even as he and the Father are one. What would you have to say to us? In the 21st century, when we have over 13,000 different denominations, have we reached the goal of unity in Christ? Brother Robert, even 2,000 years ago, we experienced differences that divided us. Uh, the, the people are naturally attracted to the group which relates closest to their human needs. Although the Spirit addressed the seven churches in the revelation I received during my exile, there were separate issues which could make them appear as divided and not what Christ wanted. The divisions were only because they had different struggles. Each province along the coast of Asia Minor had their own challenges that marked how the Spirit of God addressed them. They were no less one in Christ. But they developed separate practices that defined them. Some of those differences, however, were destructive and against the ways of Christ. But some developed separate traditions that caused them to excel in their God-given purpose. Most importantly, those church communities were most certainly bought by the price of Christ's precious blood and were united in their desire to obey His commands and further His kingdom. So you're saying that even though we can organize our way differently, this doesn't necessarily mean to be lines of separation or division. That sometimes there were just cultural things or historical experiences that tended to make these distinctions among Christians. This is correct, Brother Robert. We cling to our Christian communities to find solace and protection and to grow in Christ the fruits of the Spirit. Most of those fruits are only realized when we are in fellowship with one another. But make no mistake, the one major thing that can cause disunity is the way we view Jesus Christ. We are only His church if we affirm His presence, His will, and our obedience to Him. You can call yourself the church at Pergamum, the church at Sardis, the church at Ephesus, the United Methodist Church. It does not matter. The bigger issue is allowing your worship of the Father through Christ the Son with the aid of the Holy Spirit to produce in you that which allows you to obey Christ and love and love one another in the group to which you belong. Mm. That's a very important insight. Um, I'd like for us to shift now to actually focusing on the book, the book that's come to be known as Revelation. And one of the things that we know is that the early Christians were under some terrible, terrible dire persecution during that time. How would you describe the religious freedom under the Roman Empire at that time? 
After Jesus' resurrection and ascension, the body of believers from Jerusalem and throughout Asia Minor experienced widespread persecution. Rome insisted on making Christians give allegiance to Rome. This meant emperor worship as well. Nero and Domitian were tyrants and demanded the giving of offerings at their different temple sites. Well, what was it about the Christians that made them such easy targets for persecution? Were the Greeks and Jews, for example, were they singled out and harassed as well? Well, the Greeks and Jews were allowed by the Romans to practice their religions for a certain time. we Christians were persecuted because we, we were considered miscreants without an established religious system to protect us. Our Christian communities did not have the luxury of being defined according to Roman statute. Therefore, we were considered uh, uh, heretics and aliens, even in our own lands. Well, how then did the growing body of Christ cope with persecution? Uh, the seven churches I had addressed had begun giving in to the cultural excesses of the day. Uh, sexual perversion, materialism, unnecessary legalistic forms, and many cultural practices which distracted them from living their lives the way Christ commanded. These uh, changes within the church communities caused me great concern. We had to speak up and take a stand. Revelation is the Spirit of God speaking to our communities in ways that could uh, provide a context for us to refuse to bow down to demonic powers. Wow. As I listened to your explanation about what was going on then, and if we just change the dates and the times and we'd realize that we're facing many of the same challenges today. Um, I wonder uh, what's going to happen in our world. Our everyday conversations have to be couched with such delicate terms and even our private thoughts may someday be exposed and persecuted sooner than we think. Uh, I think the angel of the Lord uh, that appeared to you uh, may be giving us a wake-up call, too. My book was an encouragement and a warning to our churches. I encourage believers by relating to them what the angel gave me to say to them regarding their heavenly reward. Being a citizen of heaven, however, demanded right choices. The rewards for becoming committed to our wonderful Lord were to come in God's time. Hmm. But that in itself was problematic. To some, this meant being faithful through persecution. To others, it meant death. We please the Lord by being obedient to Him. We cannot be obedient to Christ and accommodate pagan beliefs. One day all will be made right as we patiently endured the pressures from without and even the pressures from within as we watch some of our own brothers and sisters grow grow lukewarm and lose their victory in Christ. Well, this must have been a very difficult and dark time indeed. So how did the Christians ultimately cope? My book reminded believers that our Lord was not only the Lamb, 
but the Lion of Judah. Being surrounded by the might of Rome, they had to see the mightiness of their God. We experience great suffering not just because of persecution, but because of the pressures for us to assimilate. Some of our churches were rich and influential, but were falling away from Christ. I told them that following Christ would sometimes be marked with great difficulty and even physical poverty. The hope that our Lord knew of our suffering, knew of our righteous living, and was very intentional about rewarding our efforts to serve Him is what kept them going. The Spirit of God, as He will use some of the words that I will speak to you this morning from my book, convinced our hearers in our day that order and right would be brought about by God Himself. This then is the very essence of what makes the church of the Lord Jesus Christ intact and steadfast these last 2,000 years. This is Hebrews, ladies and gentlemen. This is Hebrew. Ladies and gentlemen, he's telling to us, the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, John. Join me in thanking John the Apostle. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not made anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show you the life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. These things I say unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, these things I say unto you, that ye sin not. And if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. I say these things unto you, children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I say these things unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that was from the beginning. I say these things unto you, young men and young women, because you are strong, the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Behold, what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, for we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem! 
coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. But they which are written 
And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See, thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according as their work shall be. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs>